0: The first thing I want to talk about is how nauseating this game is. (laughs) This game literally made me nauseous really badly. I was actually having issues over the past couple of nights as I've been streaming this game because it's been hitting me that bad. Thankfully the game has an auto battle feature which is decent, which allowed me to effectively get into combat and then look away from the game and just not look at the game for extended periods of time. And that helped a lot. I also actually went out of my way to buy some Dramamine for the the game. I'm starting with this because I think it's the most important thing to mention for anybody else who wants to get into the game or try it. Because holy crap. And I want to explain the nausea a little bit. It's also headache-inducing. Part of the problem is that the camera is just a little bit too loose. Part of it is that it moves too much, and part of it is that the frame rate is awful. So we have stuttering frame readiness as as this just kind of doing this thing, which is the first problem. This is mostly in combat, by the way, although it's kind of on the overworld as well. So, and then the camera does this thing where rather than like moving around like this to a new position, what it'll do is it'll kind of, and then it'll kind of... I know if, if you're not watching, you can't tell, but it kind of like goes out and then hooks back around. It kind of wobbles for a second and then settles into place. And then it'll move over here and wobble for a second and center into place. <sighs> and of course, on top of that, it moves constantly in combat. It's just this, 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 this is the, the camera in, in the combat. Zzz, 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 zzz. And for these reasons, I feel the combat, that's to say the camera, was a huge detriment to the game. In fact, and I, people asked me this during the live discussion, post, uh, post-game discussion, uh, yet no, I would never have played through this game if it wasn't my job. I would have probably gotten about to the first dungeon and then put it down, because holy crap. Next thing I want to talk about is the combat itself. So, the combat's actually pretty cool, legit. It has a few problems mostly in the absence of convenience features or quality of life features like the lack of memory cursor was starting to get a little irritating by the end there and the fact that the icons were not super distinct and in many cases the game just relied on you knowing what an icon meant rather than actually explaining it but in ignoring all those little fairly small complaints i like the core concept you got a timeline This is how long it takes until your command comes up. Once you take a command, there's an action bar. How long it takes you to go across the action thing depends on variable stats, uh, your own speed or haste or how high you've leveled a specific ability and physically moving around on the battlefield. That's good. Also, you can interrupt or pause or even cancel enemy attacks, and this can be done to you as well, of course, depending on how you do it. If you've ever played Child of Light, which is a far more recent game, it's basically that, but a little less complex, because this is a game that came out in 97, or 98, or 96, or whatever the heck it was. But point being, a lot before Child of Light. You can see the bare bones of that idea and concept here, which worked quite well. It also does something else very well. So when I first saw... Oh, I forgot what I'm reading on. You can tell I haven't done these in a few months. When I first saw that this was going to be a use-it-and-level-it system, my first thought was, ugh. Because I, generally speaking, don't like those kinds of le- systems. I get it, I get it. They make perfect sense. You, 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 you train at something, and you get better at it. But in gameplay terms, it almost always leads to bad design, in my opinion. And it almost, it basically always leads to something that just aggravates me. They actually managed it here, and I want to explain some of the specifics of why. At least why I think they managed it. First of all, you use it, you level it, applies to abilities. Not like your HP doesn't go up because you're getting hit. Your agility doesn't go up because you avoid or run. Your, you know, your fire magic will go up if you use a fire spell. And your sword will go up if you use you know, any sword attacks. But all the rest of your stats are, are not directly connected to those kind of actions. So that's the first thing. Second thing that they did properly, in my opinion, is they made it so that each stat up for a specific skill, weapon, or magic also contains stat ups. So even if you're not leveling in the sense that you're gaining experience, you are still leveling in the sense that you're raising your stats because you're using your abilities. So that's good. Also, the game has kind of an interesting resource loop. So MP, that's to say for casting, is divvied up by levels. You have level 1 MP, level 2 MP, level 3 MP. Think D&D and spell slots, or Final Fantasy I, if you prefer, except instead of, you know, you get four casts of a level one spell, you have 12 mana for level one spells. Now, I prefer that system, and I've actually used that system myself for some other uh, things, including my own Maga Saiyan set. because the idea then is you can choose to cast three Spells that cost 4 mana, or 4 spells that cost 3 mana, or 12 spells that cost 1 mana, and, and so forth and so on. It, it, it gives a little bit more choice onto the player, and allows you as the developer to have a little more variety in the overall usefulness of the spells. In that. And that's exactly what they did here. It's worth noting that the Bare Bones Heal, which is still useful even at the end of the game, always costs 1 level 1 mana. Which means, at the very least, that's always just a you know a patch fix, okay, I need an emergency heal kind of a thing that's available to you. MP is restored by, you know, sleeping, uh, going to the save points, which have a restore function built into them, or by using items. SP is more interesting, because the way SP works is you have, it's it's your skill points, and you use those to do your big attacks, and those are generally your best attacks in the game. There's a couple of exceptions, but they're really good stuff. But getting hit and hitting both increase your SP. So you can just, you, you can, and then and then, poah. I've actually referred to this type of resource management before. It's uh, build spend. Uh, anybody who's played Diablo three knows about build spend. You hit someone, your rage goes up, and then you spend the rage on an ability. Very simple, right? But it works. It works quite well. Especially since there's also several items that increase the SP generation or reduce the SP cost. In fact, I actually saw there was one thing that allows you to gain SP on hit and another item that you could equip to gain SP on doing damage. So basically, you'd be getting uh, triple the SP per per general combat action, which was kind of a cool idea. I, of course, got the half-SP item, which I nearly died on. That was during the Twitch outage when I finally did that dungeon and got that stupid thing from the, the monk wannabe. Anyways, it's good stuff. I like that, but th- I haven't even described the third reason why I like the use-it-and-level-it system here, and that's the fact that it's comboed. In Final Fantasy II, you use fire magic, and your fire magic goes up, and you get stronger fire spells. That's kind of it. I mean, I mean, there's a couple other layers to that, like the fact that the cost of the spell goes up as it gets stronger. But the main point is you use it, you level it. Here, if I use water up to... Uh, I don't remember specific numbers right now. If I use water up to level 6, then I learn a new water spell. So in other words, rather than heal becoming heal 6, I have heal and then healer. So that's the first thing. But second of all, if I raise water to 6 and then, say, uh, earth to seven, then I'll get a combo spell. That's a bad example, because I can't even think of anything. But point is, you can raise multiple abilities, and in so doing, you'll get a new combo move. And in most cases, this is really cool, using that combo move then levels all of the above. So Justin, for example, he gets Gadwin's Strike, uh, Dragon Thrust, or whatever. That's Sword, Fire, Earth that enables him to raise sword, fire, and earth every single time he uses it. Now, it's pretty expensive, but still, that's basically triple dipping in terms of experience. It's also worth noting that sword increases, I think, uh, WIT, which I think is magic damage, and strength. I forget what fire and earth increase. I think fire increases damage as well. But either way, point being, you're getting four stat-ups every time you level up successfully across that thing, or at least experience towards three stat-ups. It's a cool system. It works surprisingly well, and I think it works because it was manually crafted to work so well. Forgive me for gushing about this, but I think it's one of the better aspects of the gameplay. And if you... So, obviously, most of you haven't seen the stream. That's the whole point of a rumination, right? Doing these post-game ruminations. Because you didn't watch the stream. I'll go ahead and tell you right now. I give the game a plus uh, 9 net to story. And a negative 5 net to gameplay. <laughs> because this game was kind of arduous to slog through for me, if I'm being completely honest. I know. I'm, I'm automatically biased because of the fact that it was literally causing me physical pain to play. But I do feel like the gameplay side of the game was kind of lacking. And that's why I spent so much time gushing about the leveling system. Because it's one of the things I think the game really did best. Uh, this is kind of a chill game. It's not like that engaging. It's not something that just kind of grabs you and pulls you into it. It's not like so, oh god, I can't wait to happen next. It's just something you can kind of, you know, relax... Chill, playing, you know, this is cool. Maybe chat with your friends while you're playing it. It's not offensive, and it it did get a little draggy. I feel the pacing fell off substantially in disc two. Oh, my God. It got to the point, one of my major complaints about the game is there's tiny delays in almost everything. Uh, Casting, or selecting, or the menu popping up, or the battle loading, or the encounter finishing, and just tiny little delays everywhere. Now, a lot of games have that but this game had it more than most and it tends to be in my opinion bad in most games and the reason why is because that adds up over time you play through a 40-hour rpg honestly this should probably be closer to a 20-hour rpg because so much of that extra time is just spent with those little you know seconds being piled up and piled up and piled up until you're adding minutes and eventually hours to your playtime and that really became obvious for me in disc two I also noticed the dungeon design completely changed in Disc 2, because it was far more about tighter corridors. There was far more loot that was worthwhile to get, and a lot of the enemies were basically harder to dodge, uh, probably partially because we had a party of four, so that's part of it, but also because of the tighter corridors, and because they started doing like, ha-ha, I'm going to jump out and get you kind of a thing. And there were also more enemies in general, and the enemies were harder. Now, that's not a complaint per se, the reason I bring up the fact that the enemies were harder is because that means you have to use your strong attacks to kill them. Okay, that's not a big deal, except your strong attacks take longer to cast. Not not literally in the cast time, but the whole game has to pause, and you have to be like, Oh, flame, burn them! And then do that five times per combat. It contributed to the drag of disc two substantially, and I, by the end of it, I just kind of wanted it to be over with. I also have to admit, though, and we're kind of drifting into story here, Disc 1 completely sunk its hooks into me, story-wise. I was so with it. Disc 2 didn't, is the nicest way I could possibly put that. I was completely de-invested into the Gaia plot. They did some cool things, and there were some cool scenes, but ultimately I was just, I wasn't in it. I wasn't as, 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 as... diving into the story as much as I was in Disc 1. Disc 1 was very tightly written, uh, very well paced, uh, very down-to-earth, but also very well fleshed out. The Lindblom effect is real in this game. It it feels so much like a lived-in, breathed-in world. It feels like a place that could actually exist. And there's tons of world-building everywhere as you find out about the Jewel Foundation, you find out about the different races and how they've been interacting with each other and the trade routes and the new technologies that have been used in this area and, and like the whole theme of just being right on the edge of what was an era of exploration because it's, we're, we're just, we're just passing that point. You know, the Adventurers Guild has been reduced to a tourist trap for God's sakes, right? But all of that's happened within the last two generations. If you're paying attention to what everyone says in towns and all the little, little tidbits, this is new. They've only very recently started grabbing all these artifacts and shoving technology forward. I, I mentioned on stream the idea that this reminds me of the Greco... I don't know the proper terminology for it. It's the, the Greek city-states era. You know what I mean? There, there's, just, there's tons of little city-states, and they don't really have that much influence or that much power, but they all have got their own thing going on, and they all interact with each other. And then all of a sudden, you know, Rome shows up. I know that's a bad analogy, but like the the Garlalians basically form the basis of Rome here because they show up and they have this massive technological advantage and they start introducing things like trains and steam engines and people are like, oh my gosh. And so they're just now politically and culturally starting to get used to the idea of of what is effectively an industrial revolution, which is being pushed on the back of all these ruins and archaeology they've pulled from the Angelouians and blah, 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 blah. It's a great feel and vibe, and I was completely digging it. On top of that, though, it kept making me care about all the little characters on the way. I still remember that there's this one sailor on the steam vessel you take when you're crossing to the new continent who was really nervous, but it's okay because he's doing the best he can. But his mother's right over there, and she's really worried about him. And, and you know, it's, it's, uh, he's like, oh, it's, it's okay. I just, I'm just going to do the best I can. You know, I remember that little dinky character there. <laughs> I remember, um, oh, what's another random example? I can mention Gantz, of course. How about there's this one dude, there's this one woman, here we go, I'll use her as an example, who's been desperate to get her boyfriend, and her boyfriend went off to the new world, went off to explore new parm and she finally says screw it saves up the money gets on the boat goes to see him he's not there he's actually taken a different ship so now she's got to do this whole other song and dance to get to see him there's a lot of little stories and it's all like I said it's very tightly written and it's further emphasized by sue sue is the only character who got a positive for me in this story because she's adorable and awesome and she's probably the most relatable character in the game, despite being an 8-year-old. Now, I'm going to kind of drift into kind of a negative thing here. But I mention this because I swear this isn't a review. It's just, you know, this, we're, we're trying this out, okay? We'll see how the post-game rumination, post-stream ruminations work. We'll, I'm just going with what's in my head and what's in my notes, okay? The game kept bouncing back and forth between being a Looney Tunes episode and being a serious story. And that was a problem for me, specifically because I can't care about a Looney Tunes story. I can enjoy it. You know, it can be funny or silly or or entertaining piece of media. But I'm not going to care about the consequences of Daffy Duck being smacked over the head by a giant mallet. Because it doesn't mean anything. It's not going to do anything to him, right? So, it was really hard going through this game, because at several points, they just kind of just gloss over... I don't know, being dropped off the end of the world wall and just being fine from it with no apparent explanation. Uh, Someone in chat mentioned the idea that actually uh, Fina's wing power was what saved them. And honestly, that's probably my own headcanon, but you get my point, right? Like, I'm looking at that like, like the moment that's a thing, I no longer care when your two characters jump over the edge of an airship and plummet to your death because you'll be fine. You already have been fine, right? You see the problem. This is honestly my biggest complaint about the story, other than the Disc 2 drag problem, is I couldn't really become invested in anything other than specific moments in the story. That being said, like I said, Sue's eight. The fact that her stat growth is reduced, that was a nice touch, but the fact that she's just getting worn out and sick because she's adventuring with teenagers while she's eight... That makes perfect sense. That's in the serious camp. That's consequences. That's the kind of stuff I eat up. Yes, oh my god, that's incredible. I can't believe the game acknowledged the fact that we're carrying around an eight-year-old, right? That's great. This is the same game that almost tossed her overboard on a ship in a barrel. And Sue's departure scene, oh, that hit right in the feels, no joke. That was the best scene in the game, in my opinion, bar none. That was powerful and impacting and really showed the tone this story was going in, which is funny because, as I already mentioned, the second half didn't really follow through on that, in my opinion. But anyways... I have a couple other notes here. I'm just going to jot through these really quick. Um, Justin and Fina worked better than I thought they would. They don't have many scenes that really develop their relationship, but the ones that are there are good. It really does feel like a teenage romance that's just kind of slowly drifting towards each other. And it was better done, than, frankly, than I was expecting. So, props on that one. Uh, I mentioned the nonsense. At one point, they try to force Fina to marry a guy. Oh, he doesn't get any comeuppance for that. He's, he's totally fine. And apparently everyone was completely cool with the local magnate just capturing a woman, tying her up, binding and gagging her, and then forcing her to... Yeah, no, no, that wasn't cool. Um, the The evil... Troops, the, the the trio, the female trio, who's like, ha ha ha, we're evil, but also incompetent and bumbling, and now we're the good guys. That just, that just didn't really work for me at all. Uh, I already mentioned the following off the clip. Mullen was weird. I can never get a handle on Mullen, the character, because he's one of the most common NPCs in the entire game. In fact, I think he is the most common NPC in the entire game, um, having as much screen time as several main characters. And his voice actor was terrible. Let me just start with that. I know this is an older game, and voice acting was still kind of a new thing in the video game industry. I do get that. I was around for this, remember. I remember when voice acting started actually getting good in video games, and it was being a, it was a surprise. Like, oh my god. But most of the voice acting in this game is at least serviceable, except for his. He just absolutely destroys his delivery, and completely saps the impact of any scene he's in. Notably, if I haven't spoiled enough for you already, Leans Death. <clears throat> That scene was absolutely destroyed for me by his voice actor. I probably should have felt something in it, but I didn't. The next thing I wanted to mention... (sighs) Mullen... uh, It felt like they wanted him to be, you know, the brave and loyal, I must do the military way, I must be loyal to my my father, loyal to my country kind of a person. And then he immediately just, like... (laughs) He's like no, this is we must not be able we must not do this. He says that, but then he doesn't do anything about it. Then he leads a coup and a civil war on his own troops, takes over, and then is a moron for several instances. And then he's very smart, and then he goes back to being a moron. I I, I don't know what to make of Mullen. By contrast, I know exactly what to make of Ball. He's a non character. This is, and I said this on stream as well, this is a unfortunately semi-common problem when it comes to RPG villains, is that they just don't have a character. This is actually an extremely common problem in the Dragon Quest series, for example. Like, y- y- you can't even name a character trait for many Dragon Quest villains, other than they're evil, and that's all you got. And that was kind of general ball. They could have, several people on chat, and we'll see this in the uh, discussion Excuse me, the discussion stream, which is in the final stream, uh, VOD. There's a timestamp for it. Several people in chat mentioned several ideas to try and flesh him out more. Maybe he was someone who was good and then corrupted by Gaia. Maybe nobody knew what Gaia was. Maybe he was just trying to to get access to this ancient thing that they'd heard texts of. And brain... Either way, they didn't do any of that. Instead, he was just, ha, 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 ha. I am a god, because I have... He's a Resident Evil villain. Let's just call it what it is. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I have tentacles now, and weird, deformed... I, they gain the power of gross, and they think that they're god. How many people in Resident Evil do that? I bet you can name at least four. And that's not counting the movies, which adds to that. Anyways. i think that's about all i really have to mention the i do like how initially it's all about the adventure and then you shift into fighting the gargalians but then the gargalians shift as 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 the civil war event happens and they, they they actually shift to being your allies and then it's all about fight, facing Gaia. i feel the transitions between these three were not very well done but i do like the the arc in general it's just a kid you know having fun versus we're fighting the evil army versus we're fighting the evil entity. It was a nice escalation. I just I feel like it could have been done a little bit better. And I do want to mention special props and hatred for the post credit sequence. The fact that there's some really good visual storytelling on display. You can see multiple races that are now in PARM rather than you know, because the wall has been brought down and the races can interact with each other again. And you can see that the grass is greener and people are happier. and There's more people in general, too. So obviously people are populous and, and, and prosperous. And, and Fina and, and Justin have apparently had five children in the last ten years. Let's, let's just skip over that for a second. <laughs> sure. Just making sure the Ikarian race continues there. The only thing I didn't like about it is the fact that they're like, Hey, Justin, Fina, fade to white. We don't get to see them, and that's the end of it. At that point, that's, that's, that is that's basically a post-credits thing, very MCU, rather than an actual um, uh, epilogue, which is what I was kind of hoping for. Ultimately, despite my complaints, and I do certainly have them, this is actually a fun game to play through. I'm glad I actually got to do so. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts and this experiment. Please feel free to comment below what you think of it. If you don't know what the experiment is, don't worry about it. I'll see you next time, guys.